He's been away on holiday and he was recently here in South Africa. But uh, in fact, in our Cape Talk studios and uh, it was nice to see the man behind <laughs> the voice every Sunday this time. Uh, we're joined live from London by EWN correspondent Gavin Gray. Good morning, Kev. Good morning to you, Abs. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Very How are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm feeling the cold, shall I say. <laughs> well, you missed out. You shouldn't have left Cape Town because it's still it's still warm this side. We're still happy here. <laughs> uh, it was tempting to stay, I can tell you that. Yeah, and I bet it was lovely to see you walking in and around here. And at least now you have an idea of where we are and what we are doing. That I like. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. All right. Getting down to business, and I mean, we, we talk of um, uh, the UA, uh, or sorry, the UK coming out and helping and maybe raising funds. Uh, to the survivors uh, that are in Turkey and Syria, well, just over 53 million pounds. Yes, an extraordinary figure, and that's been raised in a little over 48 hours, and the figure is continuing to climb. Uh, we're given daily updates, but that's the most recent figure. So these are contributions from ordinary members of the public. We've had uh, roughly 10 charities get together for this appeal, including the British Red Cross, Oxfam, and Action Aid, all trying to help the people of Turkey and Syria after that devastating earthquake. And um, uh, there's been television appeals, radio appeals, and so forth, and people pledging money, and also, of course, those as well who have got blankets and so forth, uh, and uh, food that they want to try and donate. It's a question of how to get it to the centers, of course, where there was such devastation. Um, and uh, I think plenty of uh, people as well think this government as well has contributed uh, five million pounds, and uh, so roughly 100 million South African round themselves. So the money is pouring in, but I'm afraid the death toll continues to rise. Um, and of course, the latest we have this morning uh, is that uh, roughly now it's uh, uh, said, Anyway, that 28,000 people have now died across Turkey and Syria following this very, very strong quake. Um, and uh, the UK has sent plenty of uh, um, search and rescue teams to try and help. Perhaps unusually, because in the past they've been slightly reluctant, Turkey has uh, agreed for this help to go in and uh, try and reach these areas that have been so impacted. Um, but uh, it is estimated that 17 million people in the Turkey-Syria area have been impacted by this disaster. And even those that have managed to survive now face incredible cold, a lack of uh, uh, food and water, and so really the race is on to try and save the survivors as well as dig out any of those that might still be trapped. With all that going on, I still hear reports of uh, of uh, people that are against refugees and also those uh, that are pro-immigrants having clashed uh, over uh, the past couple of days. Yes, I think this is going to be a real problem actually throughout uh, Europe. Um, we're seeing trouble as well in, in Ireland uh, outside uh, accommodation centres set aside for refugees. The problem is some people who have been, who are, you know, who are nationals of that country who have been on a waiting list all of a sudden see uh, asylum seekers, refugees being put up in hotels that they, they can't afford and they just want a home and they've been looking for a home for years. Now, that's in Ireland. It's also being uh, cited as problems in uh, uh, Germany and France as well. 
Uh, and in the UK, where we've taken on uh, so many Syrians, Afghans and, uh, and others, um, and last year, uh, migration into this country across the English Channel, over 85,000 last year alone. We're having similar problems because uh, uh, at the moment there are no sort of um, asylum seeker areas big enough to house those on the waiting list. And uh, that's why so many are being put up in hotels. But the problem, Abs, is that the hotel bill is massive. It's said to be 140 million South African rand a day. Can you believe that? It is an extraordinary figure in the bill, and that's why people in this country are getting so frustrated. They see the need to help the asylum seekers, but the bill is colossal, particularly if you yourself don't have a home and want one. And outside one of these hotels near Liverpool in Nosley, there was a violent disorder, and 15 people were arrested outside this uh, uh, asylum seeker hotel, including a 13-year-old boy. Um, So the age range was 13 to 54 of the arrests. There was violent disorder. A police van was set on fire. Um, Fireworks were thrown at officers and indeed inside or an attempt to fire them inside the hotel. Um, And police had originally been called because there was a protest about the fact that asylum seekers were being housed at this hotel by local people. Uh, And there was a counter uh, demonstration saying, look, we need to be welcoming the asylum seekers. So just give them time. But I'm afraid... Yeah, people pretty fed up over the bill, but also some uh, people fed up about having asylum seekers housed nearby, blaming it on a rise in local crime. Mm. And finally, after some of the recent uh, ransomware attacks, there's been people that have been, uh, shall we say, sanctioned? Yes, a very unusual move. The first actually time that the UK has taken this move. So seven Russian men have been sanctioned by the UK and US for having links to recent ransomware attacks. Now, you'll know that around the world, big uh, corporations, private companies, but also public sector services have been hit by these ransomware attacks, including one on our National Health Service. Thankfully, that didn't prove to be too disruptive. But recently, Ireland's health service executive targeted by Conti ransomware actors during the pandemic led to a massive uh, disruption in blood tests and a delay for radiotherapy and chemotherapy appointments over 10 days. So this is very serious, and it's big, big money, because it's estimated that two ransomware strains called Conti and Ryuk extorted £27 million, 540 million South African rand in ransoms from 149 British victims. Now, what Britain and America have done is through uh, some very clever Uh, investigative work, they've discovered that they believe these uh, ransomware attacks are coming from Russia, from individuals. The Russian state says it's nothing to do with them, uh, and that's why now these individuals have been uh, applied some really strong sanctions by the UK and the US involving travel restrictions um, and also uh, the uh, way in which they are able to secure their money. It's one of those situations where you can't actually make an arrest, but you know or you kind of have an idea of who's involved. So all you could do now is just close your borders. That's Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and of course, because uh, Russia is saying it's nothing to do with them, and they, but they won't investigate these individuals, um, you can't get at them. You're quite right.
Mm. And uh, if you've just tuned in on the show this morning, it's 20 minutes after nine. It's the UK Report with uh, Gavin Gray, who gives you the latest that's happening that side. Abu Gilgan-Zelenzel is standing in for Sarah J as we continue. Don't forget that you can still be part of the conversation on 21 Also, you can send a voice note if you are not sure you want to question something on 072-567-1567. Gavin, Amsterdam. I never thought I'd ever hear about this, but uh, while other countries, I mean, like South Africa, when we're working with cannabis, it seems like we're trying to loosen the chains. It seems Amsterdam is tightening them. Yes, uh, and it's very interesting because I, I suppose for many people, Amsterdam is the place, the city in Europe anyway, for cannabis smoking. Uh, it's very easy to get hold of. There are cannabis cafes where you go in for a cup of coffee and cannabis, um, and also, of course, for its red light district. But locals, local residents, have had enough. They're saying that their noise disturbance is massive, and if you live in the centre, you're just constantly breathing in cannabis smoke. So, under proposed new laws that come in now from mid-May, they really aim to improve what's called the livability for local residents. And so what they're now saying is that uh, uh, you cannot smoke cannabis in the street, Sex workers will have to close their venues, their brothels at 3 a.m. And uh, restaurants and bars will have to shut by 2 a.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. And they're even saying no new visitors into the old district after 1 a.m. So a sort of staggered approach to trying to shut down the center a little earlier and to maintain order a little earlier. Currently, the sale of alcohol from shops and liquor stores and cafes in the red light district is illegal after 4 p.m. from Thursday to Sunday. But now the council wants to tighten up on this even further, um, uh, along with these new regulations that I've just stated. In the Netherlands, it is a criminal offense to possess, produce or deal drugs. However, the use of drugs by a person over the age of 18 is not a criminal offense. (laughs) The world is an interesting place. That's all I'm going to say. The world is a very interesting place. So tell me, Gavin, is the city of London experiencing load shedding or what? Uh, No, no. I mean, that was uh, something, obviously, that I experienced in uh, uh, Cape Town and Johannesburg (laughs) and around South Africa um, and and came as a, a, well, I knew it was happening, but the the length of the blackouts in Johannesburg was really quite something to to behold. Um, Anyway, uh, we don't have load shedding here, but we are being warned about the fact that we are not producing enough domestic energy to feed our needs. And, of course, with the war in Ukraine, uh, the oil and gas prices have rocketed. And this government's been very wary about saying, no, no, we'll never have a power cut because we won't need it, because sometimes we're very close to that point, apparently. Anyway, to uh, try and actually be better for the economy, but also to be better for the environment, the city of London, so the main sort of financial district of London, is now going to require uh, businesses to switch off or dim their lights at night. Now, this will be better for light pollution, of course, but also better for the environment generally. And the City of London Corporation says the plans are part of its bid to cut light pollution to save energy and make the world a better place. Well, the plans state that new departments would have curfew times when all external lighting, other than what's required for safety reasons, all external lighting should be turned off or dimmed. And I think this will get a lot of support as well, um, because you often go around city centers and see entire office blocks ablaze with color and lights. And you think, and nobody is even in there. Mm.
Mm-hmm. And still talking about energy, apparently England's tallest wind turbine uh, will be going up soon. Yes, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, talk about, you know, wind turbines really are the way perhaps for us to try and uh, uh, get more energy from our own domestic supplies. Just as, of course, in South Africa, lots of talk about wind, but also solar energy, which, uh, believe it or not, seems to be more popular here in the UK with our lack of sun uh, than I noticed in uh, South Africa. But anyway, the uh, wind turbines, however, are not very popular if you live next to one. They make a sort of whooshing noise, but also people, you know, uh, also note that the network of cables needed to get the electricity to uh, a power station or into homes, of course, is wires above ground. And so a lot of people don't particularly like living near these things. Now, one new turbine due to be finished on Friday stands 150 meters tall. I mean, it is a massive structure that's much higher than the normal ones. But what's different about this one, Abs? is that it's actually going to be owned by a group of residents from the nearby village. Now, the nearby village is quite a a poor part of Bristol to the west of London. Um, But what's interesting is because they own it, they will get the generation of the electricity uh, and that will significantly reduce their bills. Indeed, if it is a good wind turbine and it produces more than enough electricity for the local village, they will be able to sell that electricity back into the national grid. So they may even make money for it. It may generate upwards of 2 million South African rand a year with a capacity of 4.2 megawatts. I think I need that for my village. <laughs> I think I need that for my village in South Africa. Absolutely. And maybe on, I don't want to say a lighter side of life, but I, I did just uh, see a little bit of this story. But Red Bull is up in arms because someone's taking, according to them, their logo. Yes. So there is a small wine producer in Sardinia off the coast of uh, uh, Italy and France. Uh, and uh, it's a uh, just producing its first bottles now and it's a 22 year old who's in charge and grows it all himself and harvests it all himself it's a really nice story but his logo is of the bull or two bulls kind of holding hooves as it were together Uh, and the owner though has received a legal letter from red bull red bull of course is those high energy caffeine drinks Uh, And according to Red Bull, their logo of Red Bull uh, is uh, similar to the one chosen by the vineyard owner. Now, Red Bull has two bulls charging at one another. The vineyard has a label of two bulls sort of holding hooves, as I said. I don't think they're charging at one another. It is also a different color scheme. It also has other things on the uh, bottle logo as well. So the vineyard owner who took over the running of what was his grandfather's five-hectare, 12-acre vineyard has now found himself, I'm afraid, at the center of a big multinational, as it were, dispute. He says this is a David and Goliath battle, but he's determined to fight it. Um, And the local people, well, they too are determined to fight it because they're getting behind the vineyard seller, uh, the vineyard uh, owner and the wine seller, saying that uh, they're just not similar. This guy only sells a few bottles a year. The Austrian company Red Bull sells 11.5 billion cans a year and has a turnover of uh, some 200 billion South African rand 
in the last year. So how on earth are they taking on and trying to ruin the business, they say, of such a small vineyard owner? Well, we will have to see, but of course we've noticed in the past that these global brands are very, very protective of their logos. But can you logo protect a bull? I'm not sure. Well, they've also made a young man famous, so inadvertently, because he would have been nothing and nobody. All of a sudden, now he's been thrust into this limelight by this major corporation that has so much uh, clout, and they've thrust him out there. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, Gavin, there's a message we got from one of our listeners. I'm not sure if he could respond to it, but I thought it's a very, very uh, fair question to ask, saying that, Why is it that it's always the Western countries that come to the aid of these adversely hit countries? Where are the wealthy oil states? Where's Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, etc., etc.? Why don't they help? Is it perhaps that they're helping, but they're just not making it known? Or I I don't know, Gav. What do you think? What are your thoughts? These are very, very good question. And uh, plenty of people, particularly when it is the world of the Middle East that's been hit, like Syria... Uh, and a Turkey, of course, on the boundary between Europe and the Middle East. Yes, where are they? Such wealth. I'm sure that there are individuals, and I'm sure that there are some very generous people, but um, we haven't heard about them. They don't seem to make the news, and uh, certainly as a nation, as a rich nation, as some of the Middle Eastern countries are, perhaps it is time that they maybe stepped up to the plate and did a collective uh, uh, donations as so much is done in the West. But, you know, it isn't, of course, just the West as well. There are other nations around the world doing their bit. But at a time in need, as most surely Turkey and Syria are, this is a time to pull together. Gav, thank you so very much for joining us on the show this morning. A good one for you.